Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. The following podcast contains explicit language. The President of the United States is accusing the former president of wiretapping him. I'm not interested in being a part of a winch hunt, but I also will not be a part of a cover-up. There is no FISA court order. Not, not to my knowledge. Of anything at Trump Tower? No. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who says Barack Obama tapped his phones during the election, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. He made that accusation over the weekend. It was classic Trump in every respect. A wild, unsupported charge, based on something he read on Breitbart, fired off in a misspelled, early-morning Shabbos tweet storm, while Jared Kushner was unavailable to restrain him. And in another familiar move, Trump appropriated the terminology of his critics to project their charges back onto them, the same way he did with fake news. So the big scandal isn't Russia stealing the election for him. It's Democrats trying to steal the election from him. He said in one of his tweets that this is Nixon Watergate. In his comparison, Obama, who he called a bad and sick guy, is the criminal president illegally wiretapping his opponents. Trump often has a Twitter burp after a big disinformation lunch, so he followed that stream of crazed accusations by attacking Arnold Schwarzenegger's ratings on Celebrity Apprentice. Journalists have spent the last two days demanding that Trump produce evidence to back up his charges. Of course there's no evidence. Trump didn't even reproduce the details of the Breitbart story he read accurately. His latest Obama lie is like his lies about Obama's birth certificate, or Ted Cruz's father in the Kennedy assassination, or the three million illegal votes against him. It's not that there's no proof, it's that there's no possibility of proof. These lies are expression of contempt for his own supporters, that he thinks there are people stupid enough to believe him. But flipping the analogy back around the right way, is this Watergate? And is Trump Nixon, a president likely to be undone by scandal? I'll be back to talk about that with none other than John Dean, one of the key figures in Watergate, right after we do the tweets. And the Democrats are overplaying their hand. They lost the election, and now they've lost their grip on reality. The real story is all of the illegal leaks of classified and other information. It is a total witch hunt. We should start an immediate investigation into Senator Schumer. 
and his ties to Russia and Putin. Total hypocrite. I hereby demand a second investigation after Schumer of Pelosi for her close ties to Russia and lying about it. Terrible. Just found out that Obama had my wires tapped in Trump Tower just before the victory. Nothing found. This is McCarthyism. I bet a good lawyer could make a great case out of the fact that President Obama was tapping my phones in October, just prior to the election. How low has President Obama gone to tap my phones during the very sacred election process? This is Nixon Watergate, bad or sick guy. My guest today is John Dean. He's the former White House counsel and now a prolific author and lecturer. His most recent book, published a couple of years ago, is The Nixon Defense, What He Knew and When He Knew It. And that's based on hundreds of hours of the Nixon White House tapes that John Dean very carefully deciphered, listened to, and put in a chronological order and made sense out of. John Dean, thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure. That was a laborious task. That transcription is the word you missed. And and that's what took four years to do. Because uh, a lot of it just isn't audible, right? I mean, they were not recording this for a podcast in the White House. It was just one microphone, right? Exactly. And it's the quality of the conversations is directly related to the proximity of the speaker to one of the hidden microphones. In some offices, no one sat around the desk at all where the microphones were, like the executive office building. Anyway, Mr. Trump is not doing this. Well, that we know he, of. He leaves, a, he leaves a transcribed version with his Twitter. <laughs> right, exactly. He gives us his minute-by-minute thoughts in a different way. But, um, you know, I was, I was thinking about you because we've just gone through another weekend when the whole vocabulary the press use and that we all use to talk about what's going on is the old Watergate vocabulary. It's what did the president know and when did he know it? It's bugging and leaks. It's the not the crime. It's the cover-up. And amazingly, the, the heart of the matter is, again, a, a break-in to the Democratic National Committee. This one, a digital break-in rather than a physical burglary. But Well, and Mr. Yeah. Trump is accusing Obama of Watergate behavior. Indeed. He accused his predecessor of uh, what clearly would be an impeachable offense. But uh, I couldn't think of any precedent for that. I mean, everything else seems like some version of something that's happened before, maybe. But that didn't seem like a version of anything. That just seemed crazy. Well, that's pretty consistent with Mr. Trump, who does things that nobody else has ever done. He, he has no respect for any of the norms that have followed the tradition in campaigning or in occupying the office. I think, he, frankly, he's hurting the office. I think he is degrading the presidency. His propensity to just endlessly lie is just <laughs> remarkable for somebody in that office. There certainly are echoes of Nixonian behavior here that took place largely behind closed doors, uh, and we know about it because of the tapes. Nixon didn't come out and say he hated the press was the enemy 
in public statements. He might have been bristled at them occasionally, but he didn't use <clears throat> that kind of language. Trump calls them the, the enemy of America. Well, that, that's very Nixonian. In fact, it's more Nixonian than Nixon because he does it publicly. <laughs> but, but coming back to the sort of Nixon comparison, which people are making all the time, I mean, it's just the natural, partly because, as I said, we, you know, we just have this Watergate analogy in our minds anytime we have a scandal, but especially this scandal. But how is Trump like or not like Richard Nixon? Well, first of all, let's take how he is not like Nixon. He's not nearly as knowledgeable about the office he holds as Nixon or government in general. Nixon was a former member of the House, a member of the Senate, eight years as vice president. He's trained as a lawyer, argued cases in front of the Supreme Court, very sophisticated about the ways of Washington. Trump is none of those things. The way they're similar, and we know this again because of the tapes, because Nixon was a fairly shy person in public, also a highly rehearsed person in public. Before he would give his State of the Union, he would rehearse it over and over and over and actually have a large hand in actually crafting it. Uh, we know from the tapes that Nixon was clearly an authoritarian personality. Well, it's clear that Trump is a, an authoritarian personality, probably more so on a lot of social science on this. I, I wrote a book where I really jumped into this subject called Conservatives Without Conscience because I didn't understand what had happened to the conservative movement. And I realized as I was digging deeper and deeper is that the authoritarian personality has become the core of the Republican Party. And I'm very pleased recently I've learned the book is suddenly by word of mouth, pick it up and it's doing 150 to 200 book sales a week now. I can't imagine uh, why people find that relevant at the moment. <laughs> that tells them why Trump is there, who supports him, and, and the nature of his personality, and the problems that we're going to have dealing with that personality. So it, it I, I wrote it in 2006 as a warning to Republicans that here's what was happening to their party. Uh, well, it's happened. So no one listened. What does this, you compared Nixon and Trump, Let's talk about impeachment, just to go straight there. Now, Nixon, of course, was not impeached, but would have been if he hadn't, hadn't resigned. You no, know something. Nixon would not have been impeached had there been a Republican Congress. Hmm. Right, right. Well, there wouldn't have been hearings, right? I mean, there wouldn't have been... There would not have been the Senate Watergate hearings. There would not have been uh, the investigations that even preceded that. That's probably the, the biggest difference, because you recall, it's not until post-Nixon that Southern Democrats, who are con true conservatives, leave the party and become Republicans. And Nixon actually was relying on Southern Democrats and Republicans, but the moderate Republicans left him. And then finally the conservative Democrats left him, and that's when he realized he didn't have a prayer. He was going to be impeached in the, by a bill of impeachment in the House with a simple majority, and that he would be convicted and removed from office by the Senate where he had lost sufficient Republicans. I mean, people like Barry Goldwater and you, Scott, had had enough, and they said, we, we just can't vote for you. So do you think impeachment is just a pipe dream of some Democrats then until they get control of at least one House of Congress? I do. Yeah. I do. I don't. The only thing that could happen, things are happening very fast. That's a big difference between Watergate. Watergate ran literally from the time of the arrest at the 
Democratic National Committee, on, which was June 17th of 72, until the last of the trials of Haldeman, Ehrlichman, and Mitchell, being the former chief of staff, top domestic advisor, and attorney general, which happened, they're convicted in January of 75. That kind of ends Watergate. Yeah. That's 900 days. And things did not move quickly at all at the beginning and really didn't move that fast even when it hit the fan. But uh, uh, everything is very accelerated today. I think that's because of post-Watergate, the attitude towards presidents. They're not given the benefit of the doubt. Uh, so people are more inclined to move quickly. The media no longer has the same type of news cycles. Today, the news cycle is when news breaks, and it breaks when, they, when it's ready to go to press. So it's moving much faster. And uh, what could happen if the <clears throat> Republicans get hammered in this odd-year election? And there are a couple others around the country. And there have been a couple. There's one out right now to fill Tom Price's seat as he becomes Secretary of Health. Uh, and there's some others like that around that are... that are if Special they, elections, yeah. Right. If, if special elections. If they lose, the, if Republicans lose those, and they see that Trump is really, the public has quietly turned against him because polling is pretty unpredictable with Trump, we've found. So, you know, that could change their attitude and things could then start to happen even before the midterm. Right. I mean, I, I agree with you, John, that impeachment is less a question of impeachable offenses unless they're so extraordinary, like really strong evidence of, of treason. It's not the question of, of what he did, if it's at all marginal. It's a political question. But for that very reason, Republicans could decide at some time, at some point, their interests are better served by having him out of the White House, which could happen either because his popularity has gone down so low that he's just damaging all of them and their prospects for re-election. Or they might just feel as a calculation that they've gotten enough of what he, they're going to get out of him or as much as they're going to get and that they're better off with Mike Pence, including right. in their prospects for re-election. Can you imagine that scenario where they, they start to move against him without losing Congress? I can. I, I can see that happening. You know, he, he is obviously not a creature of the Republican Party. Pence is exactly the opposite, totally a, a party creature. I mean, I've always wondered if Trump said to Pence at some point, if I don't like this job, it's going to be yours. And uh, you know, I'll see how I like it and how it goes. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping you'll be ready to run the store and I can uh, learn how to do it. <laughs> but I'd, I'm not even sure he could be that candid with his vice president. You know, I was I was a nerdy kid who really grew up watching the Watergate hearings. I mean, I remember the summer when I'm, the Irvin Committee hearings on, was on. I think I was nine years old, kind of watching them all summer. And uh, I remember you. I, I don't want to embarrass you, but I remember you as as the hero. You know, this guy who who stood up and and told the truth. And I, I've been wondering in in the context of this White House. You know, is there a John Dean anywhere? Is there anyone whose conscience might get the better of him or her at some point and decide to put their loyalty to democratic institutions ahead of their loyalty to the man? It's not an easy route to travel, and most people know that. I ended up, of course, in the witness protection program because there were so many threats against my life at the time uh, when I broke rank. Uh, I actually never would go to prison Rather, what happened is the during the time I otherwise might have gone uh, is they put me in a safe house 
out in uh, Baltimore on a on a sort of almost a deserted army base called Fort Hollabird. The marshals drove me or picked me up every night or every morning. Uh, I ate in restaurants and was driven back there to sleep at night. But that was just during the trial. So I guess I, I served 120 days in a safe house, but I was actually in the witness protection program for about a year and a half on and off. Uh, did and you have a, did you have an alias and, and no, all no, that? No, no, no. They didn't put me, they didn't put my wife and I on a picket fence in the Midwest. I mean, you were pretty recognizable at that point. Yeah. I don't know it would have done much good. Uh, I, I, I traveled uh, with two marshals all the time and then they had marshals at our home all the time. Two of them. We never knew the full extent of what all they did, but it was, uh, you know, that's a, it's a remarkable service that the government can provide. What happened is, both Sam Dash, who was the chief counsel to the Senate Watergate Committee, and Archibald Cox, the Watergate prosecutor, just agreed that the threats were sufficiently serious that if they were going to have a witness, they better they better protect his life. And, and Cox, of course, had the ability to do that through the Department of Justice. He's the one who actually did it. To, and Sam Irvin said, you know, the Capitol Police obviously can't do it. Sam Irvin being the chairman of the Senate Watergate Committee. Did the so threat that, to you come to an end pretty much when Nixon left office, or was there, was there still a residual sense of animosity from certain people on the right? The, it was uh, it was pretty. It, 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 there is some that exist to this day. There are Watergate revisionists who are Nixon apologists who would like to make me the culprit of Watergate. Uh, that, that I I theoretically concocted the whole scheme secretly tricked all my superiors into covering it up. Uh, you know, these are people who obviously uh, are like Trump in a sense. They don't read any of the record because right. you can't find any of this. You recorded 900 hours of uh, secret White House tapes. So. <laughs> right. That, it, that, it makes it a little tougher because there is a, a, a fairly complete historical record. And at one point when somebody brought my wife into this, I literally brought a lawsuit and I did it to a defamation suit, even knowing how difficult it is for a public figure, because I I knew I could free up a lot of the material that might not in my lifetime even emerge. And I did. I got everything from the Watergate special prosecution files opened up to uh, some of the stuff from the Senate Watergate Committee, stuff that had just been buried and probably still, it might even still be today, uh, but for that lawsuit, and that just opened it all up and, and, and killed it. But, John, before you did, you didn't. I mean, for there was a period of time when you were a loyalist, when you were a true believer, be, before you decided to, to step well, up. I, and I guess I my, actually yeah. tried to I tried to convince the president to end the damn cover-up. When I started actually having dealings with the president, White House counsel was, is today pretty much what it was when I was there. It's a middle-level job. Uh, I reported through primarily the White House chief of staff. Uh, the White House counsel does not have a direct line on the charts into the Oval Office. Uh, but in my case, my predecessor, Ehrlichman, uh, John Ehrlichman, was also at the same rank as the chief of staff as an assistant to the president. And he never really gave up the job of, of White House counsel. Uh, he gave up the title and gave me all the minutia, uh, <laughs> which, is a, which is a lot. But it's not until actually Nixon's reelected. And he realizes he wants Holloman and Ehrlichman working on his second term. And he says that he realizes they're just, you know, I'm the desk officer and I'm getting picked up all his information. So he starts dealing with me. 
And at that time, I tell him what's immediately. I realize I don't know how much he knows or doesn't know. I know today, after transcribing all the tapes, that he was involved in the cover-up deeply, which I always suspected. Uh, I just knew the way the place worked, that there wouldn't be a cover-up. That, that's the interesting thing about any presidency I've studied and gone and, and looked at closely. The signal and the mood and the direction of a White House comes right out of the Oval Office. When presidents wear hats, his staff wears hats. If the president has fires in his fireplace in the winter, staff who have <laughs> fireplaces have, fireplace, have fires in their fireplaces. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, so this, that staff right now is taking all of its signals from Trump. When they're, when they're justifying you know, a bogus charge that Obama wiretapped Trump uh, during the campaign, and they're supporting that, they're just, you know, they're just not willing to take him on. So uh, anyway, I'm not sure how much Nixon knows when I go in there, but I, I, I slowly probe and start trying to give him information. And that's when I really get to figure out who the man is I'm working for, when I try to get him to end the cover-up by telling him there's a cancer on his presidency. But what I'm, what I'm asking is whether John Dean, looking at this White House, sees any potential John Dean in there. You know, is there some young person who's there who must be troubled by this or might try to tell the president the truth about something or, you know, would ultimately testify against the president if it comes to that? There may be. I don't know yet. It, 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 the staff has only been there, what, uh, 40-some days. Uh, I, I've been watching who's going in there and reading a little bit about their background and, and, and what have you. You know, I just don't know the answer to that question. So far, they're all pretty much believers, and they are touting the line. And what I'm seeing there also is what happened in the Nixon White House is the bunker mentality, where you really begin to believe that the whole world is against you, and you, only you know what's right and wrong, and the, the, the line or the thinking at the Nixon White House was, well, Nixon is going to end this awful war in Vietnam and, and bring peace in the world because he's a genius at this. And he was. You know, he did China. He did detente with Russia. Uh, he did do a lot of good things. But uh, this administration has that same sort of mentality. Well, only Trump can shake up Washington and change the old ways and do things like kill the Environmental Protection Agency and, you know, things that they want. So they're believers for that reason. So what advice then do you have for opponents of Trump? I mean, people who share your view of how big a threat he is to democracy, but at the same time want to proceed lawfully, want to behave reasonably, don't want to copy his worst qualities. You know, should they not be talking about impeachment? What's the what's the what's the strategy right now? There's, you know, I've been trying to study what the resistance is doing. I've gone back to the social science I looked at to understand authoritarian personalities to see how how you can deal with these people. This this science all came out of World War II, trying to understand how so many Europeans in Italy and Germany could follow a Mussolini and a Hitler. And then I'm trying to look to see what's there as to. Uh, how you deal with these authoritarian personalities. I've talked also to probably the leading scholar in the field, had a couple long conversations with, with him, and he was saying to me, he said, John, he said, if the New York Times reported that uh, they had discovered Donald Trump on the estate of President of Russia, Mr. Putin, 
having sex with a belly goat while handing over nuclear codes, those people still support him. <laughs> they, they, they just wouldn't leave him. Well, he said it himself. He could shoot somebody in the street. That's right. That was his example. He, he, under, he realized what his followers were like. So it's not, it's not going to be that, that people are going to change Trump. It can, he can be embarrassed. And we saw that happen with the press did get to him on General Flynn and did. I was surprised that he caved on that, frankly. You know, there's no way to really influence his behavior. He cannot be criminally prosecuted. That's pretty clear law today. It, it was studied. There are a couple of solid opinions out of the Office of Legal Counsel on that uh, because it came up first with Agnew. Then it came up during the Clinton years. So the only thing that you can do is impeachment. So actually, if he did shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue today, he's pretty safe. Although there's a long enough statute statute of limitations on murder, you could get him when he was out. But you actually couldn't prosecute him criminally. You would still have to impeach him if you if you shot somebody on Fifth Avenue. Remove him from office. Exactly. So it it is it is not light. Now the Twenty Fifth Amendment, and I was stunned over the weekend reading that the uh, deputy editor at the Wall Street Journal finally said, when are Republicans going to start calling this man mentally defective and or not not unstable, I think might be the better term. Right. But I mean, again, back to Nixon, you know, and if you were gone by that time, but in the final days, that certainly depicts a Richard Nixon who was uh, who was mentally in very poor condition. I mean, drinking heavily, erratic, irrational, uh, it's not hard to imagine that Trump is on when in his rages in the White House is is very much like that. I mean, minus the drinking, but but yeah, he doesn't he, he can't even take a drink to relax, <laughs> so he doesn't do that. And golf isn't really a relaxing game for most, uh, most <laughs> golfers. So uh, it's the worst of both worlds. It's boring without being relaxing. <laughs> the, the you know the the answer as I see it is that the. The people who are upset with Trump need to organize for 2018 to make sure that they win the midterm election and then to be sure that they're ready for 2020 with the right candidate and and the party in order and and unified. The Trump people got lucky, uh, as I I see it, by actually the blunders they did where they ended up, you know, 90 days out and he's got to get rid of Manafort because of his ties to Russia. And they run into the, he meets a fellow named Robert Mercer out on Long Island with his daughter, Rebecca. And they say, oh, we have some people who might be help, be able to help you. Uh, and that's when Bannon arrives and Kellyanne arrives and, and Cambridge Analytics arrive. And that made the difference. It literally brings him across the line. I've been speaking to one of my childhood heroes, John Dean, (laughs) and his most recent book was The Nixon Defense, What He Knew and When He Knew It, a deciphering of the Nixon's White House tapes. John, thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Andy Bowers is Chief Content Officer of the Panoply Network. And the great John D. Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. Hey, a couple of announcements. First, are you reading The Plot Against America? I've been rereading over the weekend. It is so good. You still have about a week to get through it before you listen to our book club, which is coming up. 
And all this month, it's Tripod Month. Think about a friend, your mom, anyone you care about, and think about what podcast would they really be into? Is it Trumpcast? It might be Trumpcast. We won't be upset if you recommend Trumpcast. And when you do, tell us what you recommended by using the hashtag Tripod. That's hashtag T-R-Y pod. Thanks for spreading the word. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. I am disgusted by Obama, who sat there prior to the inaugural, looked at me, shook my hand, and then I find out he wiretapped Trump Tower. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Out of control. Power hungry. Maniac. And to know, to know that he had bugged Trump Tower so close to the election could only mean one thing. He's working with the Russians. Terrible. Him, Chuck Schumer, Pelosi, they're all working with the Russians. This is a terrible, terrible turn of events. But we will get to the bottom of it. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care. We can have 50 investigations going at the same time, and we will. We will. It'll be tremendous. No one investigates like me. Believe me. Believe me.